Ephesians 4. We'll go down to verse number 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit. Even as you are called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Tonight, I want to present this thought to you, united with the Trinity, united with the Trinity. Let's pray. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, we come back into your presence this afternoon. And Lord, we are humbled by what we experienced here today. God, for the preach word of God, the atmosphere of the services, the liberty to preach and to worship. Lord, we're thankful for that. And this afternoon as we gather back, I pray that you would use the word of God to continue to encourage us. Lord, as we continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, God, that you would use tonight Lord, to penetrate hearts and minds. We pray for our teenagers, our children next door. We pray that you would be with them as they meet. God, as they hear the truth of your word. I pray that you'd use Brother Nathan, Pastor Will, God, Brother John, Miss Ashley, all the volunteers that are laboring. Lord, keep that building safe. Lord, do something in the midst of those children and those teenagers. Lord, plant seed. Lord, do something that only you can do. Prepare them for their lives and for what they're going to face. And then here in the main sanctuary, Father, we need to examine ourselves tonight. And Lord, ask you humbly, as we know how, to touch our hearts as we draw closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen and amen. It's Ephesians 4. In what we explored Last week, last Sunday morning, the title of that message was In Honor of the Trinity. We went and looked at our namesake, why we are named Trinity Baptist Church. We talked in depth about the Trinity and what it means to be part of Trinity Baptist Church. Uh, there is a wonderful example for us as believers within the Trinity itself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. They lay for us the groundwork for us to live with one another. And one of the key components of the Trinity that's placed on us as believers is unity. Unity. Uh, there is perfect unity within the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit all work together in one accord, in perfect harmony for one goal and for one purpose. There is no war of personalities or separation of desire and will within the Trinity. They all three work together for one thought, one heart, one desire, and one will. God works in perfect rhythm within himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost all want to accomplish the same things. They can operate in power, in full power, in the office of that person in the Godhead, the Son, the Spirit, and the Father. They all operate in their office at the same time with the same power and accomplish the same goal. 
This so goes against what we talked about a few weeks ago as it pertains to modalism uh, that robs the Trinity of power that goes against what we read in Scripture. Uh, The Trinity operates at the same time. Uh, Jesus' baptism there at Bethabara, John the Baptist is holding the sun, the dove uh, type of the Holy Spirit is there represented and then God the Father is heard audibly This is my son. More confirmation of the Trinity as it operates in its perfect rhythm together. And as believers, we are all different. We all have different backgrounds, different upbringings, different personalities, and even some different perspectives. Sometimes unity in a church is often robbed from that church Because sometimes people assume that if someone has a different perspective on truth or they have a different way of looking at the word of God, that there's no possibility uh, for there to be peace, for there to be unity. When really if those two parties sit down and begin to talk and explain themselves, what you'll find out is they're both saying the same thing just in a different way of getting to the end result. There are, are many different personalities and perspectives. And this is not a bad thing. This is a wonderful thing. Uh, But as we see tonight, we are commanded, we are called as believers to be united. Unity is vital in the life and the heart of a church. Uh, The truth is there is a difference in getting along or tolerating one another and real Christian unity. There's a big difference in just getting along, tolerating one another, and real Christian unity. Uh, Getting along can be easy to do. I watched a lot of people get along today at lunch because there was one common goal. Num, 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 num. Everybody was happy. The biggest argument you might have had today was, do you like mustard sauce or do you like uh, sweet Memphis barbecue sauce on your barbecue? Everybody got along pretty easy. There wasn't a whole lot of divide. Uh, Maybe you thought there should have been a different side, but I didn't hear anybody talk about it. It's easy to get along. It's easy to tolerate. It's another thing completely to be unified, for there to be real spirit-led unity. But the Bible calls us to live as such, to be unified as Christians. It's one of the heaviest things that's been placed on us. It's one of the heaviest tasks. It's one of the greatest expectations that God has for his children is for us to be united. And the reason it is so difficult, the reason it's so hard is because of what I just said a few moments ago. We're all different. We all have different upbringings and backgrounds. We all have different ways of responding. We all have a different tone and a different voice. And some people just don't jive and juke with others. It's part of human life. It's just the way it is. But God calls Christians, his children, his representatives, no matter what our background may be, no matter what our perspective was, No matter where we come from or how much money we have or the color of our skin, no matter who we are and where we are from, we are called as brothers and sisters in Christ to be unified. If the world would pay attention for one second 
to real, authentic, Bible-based Christianity, it would know that they had found the greatest opportunity for inclusion in the entire universe. You want everything to be equal? You want everything to be right and just? You want there to be equal opportunity for all? You can find that within the context of Christian living. Because there is no respecter of persons as it pertains to the cross of Calvary. There are millions of people who are Christians who do not have white skin. There are millions of people who are Christians who do not speak English as their first language or their mother tongue. Yet God calls us to be unified as one body, as one bride together with those people. Now, be very careful right here because some use this for ecumenical uh, discrepancies that well, we're all part of the same body. We're all part of the same bride of Christ. And uh, if, if they think that way, that's okay. So we can, there's, you have to be very careful. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. There are some things where we divide with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's set up in so, uh, it may have not been the way that God really wanted it in the beginning. You watch the, 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 the turn from uh, truth. You watch where men begin to manipulate. You see the fractions and the fractures uh, of people who started right. But there comes a place, there comes a point. And, and as Poppy said in his book, we read it last week, there are some things worth losing everything for. And for this church, this body of believers, it all comes down to the word of God. Amen. The word of God. Uh, many men have used things uh, to create boxes uh, that we'll call legalism. And they'll say, well, if you don't follow this rule, if you don't look this way, if you don't dress this particular way, if you don't fit into this box, you're not right with God. That's legalism. There are some who say, well, the box is so big, grace is so mighty and powerful, uh, we can do as we want, we can live as we please, and there is no box, there is no restraint. Live, 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 grace is abundant. Grace is there, grace is here. Do as you please. Both can be dangerous. And then right there in the middle, Somewhere perfectly in line with the word of God is exactly where we're called to be. And it's right there where unity can really take place. Because then it's not about man and his rules. It's not about man and his understanding. It's about the standard or the truth of God's word. Christian unity. There is a real difference in getting along and being unified in the body of Christ. Let's back up and look at this entire first six verses of Ephesians 4. Look at verse number 1. Paul's writing, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. Look at verse number 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, one spirit, even as you are called to one hope of your calling. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. Endeavoring, it takes work. It's hard work. It's intentional work. It's work that happens with purpose to keep unity. 
In other words, you don't just accidentally trip and fall into unity. A church, a body, doesn't simply uh, become unified because it decided that it was going to take a vote and we're going to vote on unity and now we're unified because we took a vote. That's not how that works. It's more practical than that. It's more down to the nitty gritty where the rubber meets the road of Christian life. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want you to look here at what makes us all part of the family of God. He lists them here. I'm going to give you seven things, seven features that are shared by all believers. These are the common denominators, if you will. These are the things that unify us. There are plenty of things that we could say in this room tonight that make us different. Different preferences, different lifestyle choices, all sorts of things that fall into place. Some people like to live up in the mountains. Some people like to live at the beach. Some wanted to go on and get their masters. Some never went to college, finished high school, and lived their life. We're all different. Can we all just shake our head and agree that we're different? I'm different than you are. You're different than I am. That's beautiful. That's okay. That's wonderful. But as Christians, there is something that's the same about us. There is something that is the common denominator. It's the one thing that brings us together. And it's our relationship with Christ. And in these verses, look what he gives. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. These are the common denominators. These are the things that make us brothers and sisters. You will notice that on there, it does not have any sort of socioeconomic uh, factor. There is nothing on there about how much money you have or which college you went to or, or what you think about the stock market or how you vote. Those things are not found there. Uh, instead, it's the body, the spirit, the hope, the Lord, the faith, the baptism, and one God. These are the things that give us our brotherhood, our sisterhood, our common denominators. These are the things that unify us. And when the Trinity is on full display... And you go to scripture and you see the Trinity working and you see how God orchestrated time and how he orchestrated even the movements of the Trinity and how everything works together in conjunction. You see the perfect example of unity. The Holy Spirit of God was never working against the Son. The Son was always going with the will of the Father. Even though there had to be discussion, even though there had to be surrender and prayer, the Son, who was all God and all man, said, I surrender not my will, but thy will be done. Thy will, the will of God, the will of the Trinity, and even the will of Jesus not his human form, but rather the divine portion of our Lord and Savior in flesh. He still wanted to carry out the will of the Father. The Trinity works in perfect unity. And we are called to be the same. We are to replicate that unity, to emulate that same spirit of unity. And it's not based on our personalities it's not based on even our desires, but rather it's based on what unifies us as the Trinity, as part of the family of God. 
The Trinity lays out the perfect example of this for us. Go with me to Romans. Let's go to Romans for just a second. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get to this, but let's, let's do it. I think it's important. Go to Romans 14. Go to Romans 14. This is a bit of a sidebar, but I think it's important and I want to get it out. Romans 14, go down to verse number 17 for the sake of time. Look at this. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in what? In the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Here's the key. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify the other. Go to 15, chapter 15, verse number one. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. This is the principle of accommodating the weaker brother. This is how we are able to emulate the Trinity. This is how we are to treat one another. If someone is further down the road in their walk of faith, if you've been saved more than 10 years, raise your hand. More than 10 years, all right? If you've been saved more than 10 and someone comes into our church, they're gloriously saved and they're in the infancy of their walk of faith, six to eight months, they're brand new. They're just now beginning to taste the milk, if you will, of God's holy word. They're just learning, they're just growing. According to this principle, Christians who are further along in their walk, because the strength that he's talking about there is not physical stature or physical strength. He's talking about spiritual knowledge, a walk of faith that's more mature. But he's saying if you're stronger than that other person, be accommodating to the weaker one. In other words, if someone messes up or if someone doesn't understand what the Trinity is or if someone doesn't understand how to explain Mount Calvary and the cross and the blood and the resurrection and they just simply put their faith, hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and they responded to the wooing and the drawing of the Holy Spirit and conviction power and by faith leaped towards Christ and said, save me, I'm a sinner, then they were not instantly given the power and the possession of the knowledge of scripture nor the strength of a strong walk like someone who's lived for 10 or 15 years with the Lord. And Paul's saying, be accommodating to that person. It's, I think this is a glimpse into how we're really to treat one another. It goes back to what I said this morning about James, confess your faults one to another. We're not talking about ecclesiastical box that we need to build in the back or in the choir loft that we go sit in and somebody else sits on the other side and we confess all the things we've done all week. That's not what James was talking about. He was talking about transparent living. 
And, and sometimes people feel the pressure because they're part of a church or they come to church. They sit in blue chairs. They go to a Sunday school class and something will come up and they'll be embarrassed that they don't understand or they don't know the story of Delilah and Samson or they don't know what the Garden of Eden is. We are not to look at those brothers and sisters with shame or with reproach. We are to look at them and accommodate them in their lack of knowledge. And it comes back on us to teach them. This is unity inside of a church. This is how we grow. You see, it's not just unity for the sake of unity. It's unity for the sake of your brother or your sister who needs you to be real, who needs you to be transparent, who needs you to share your faith because you don't know what they might face in the next week. And if you'll just accommodate them in their weakness and love them right where they are, then God may open their eyes through the truth that you know and you possess. That's unity. It's more than just getting along, giving together, praying together, worshiping together. This is faith in action. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. When you're there, say amen. I love 1 and 2 Corinthians. Go down to... Verse number 12. We'll save some time. Look at this. All right, here's the church. Remember, he told us in Ephesians 4, one body, okay? Well, here is that body better defined. Verse number 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, there it is again. Don't you love it when the Bible is its best commentary? For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased who? Him. Let me remind you of what Jesus told his disciples up at Caesarea Philippi when he took them there to the headwaters of the Jordan River. If you stand there and you can go there today, you're standing there at the Temple of Pan. It's an old ruin. There's a Byzantine church right above your head. Oh, that's such a sidebar, but let me just run this for just a moment, please. So you have the temple of Pan, the most wicked, vile place on earth at one point. A human sacrifice, children by the hundreds and the thousands were murdered here at this place. And right above it, after the temple of Pan had crumbled, uh, the Christian church, the old church, the, the first church, the first breaths of church life, 
They decided, and I'm almost certain they had to be Baptists, they decided that they were going to go to where the Temple of Pan had been and that they were going to build a church, a physical church, on top of the Temple of Pan. And all the way around the walls of that church, about every three feet, they put a beautiful Byzantine cross and chiseled it in stone so that 360 all the way around that old church was the cross of Calvary of Jesus Christ. And now today the ruins of that church sits on top of the ruins of the evil, wicked temple. Praise the Lord for those Byzantine Christians who had something in them. They may be from the mountains of Western North Carolina. I'm not sure. But there at the Temple of Pan, remember what Jesus told his disciples. He brought them up to the gates of hell. He brought them to the very uh, top of the mountain, if you will, of wickedness and evil. And he said, the gates of hell should not prevail. But who, who was the gates of hell not going to prevail against? Against the church. But remember how he said it. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will set at perfect will the people I want to come into the church at the perfect time. You see, I do not believe in going and putting a big advertisement on billboards all over town that if you'll come to Trinity Baptist Church, sign a banana and become one of the bunch that will give you a free toaster. I don't feel that pressure. I've never felt that pressure. I don't ever want to feel that pressure. You know why? Because I believe wholeheartedly if we'll be the church that God wants us to be, if we'll be right with him and follow him and pursue truth, that Jesus will keep up his end of the bargain and he will build his church. He'll bring in the right people at the right time. That's how he set this thing up. He knows who needs to be here. He knows what Trinity Baptist Church needs. I will build my church. Church, And in this verse, there's more here. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Know this, that every member of that body is a vital part of that body. I want you to go get in your car tonight and try to drive your car with no hands, no feet, and no eyes. And then call your insurance company. Because it's not going to work out. Try to go home and make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich as big as your head. And do it with no hands. No eyes. No ears. The body of Christ works when it's unified. Not when the eyes say, well, I'm mad at the hands, so if the hands are involved, I'm shutting off. That's not how it works. Then the hands are useless. The hands are reaching in the dark and, and grasping for something to hold on to because the hands don't know what to hold on to. It can't see. And what happens in human nature 
What happens in humanity itself is we'll see a member of the body being used more predominantly than the member of the body that we are. Whatever our gift, because that's what this comes down to, is the gifts that have been given to us. All of us have been given a gift. All of us have been given a task and a job to do. You go through this and read more about what happened in this church in Corinth. And the apostle Paul has a mess that he is trying to correct here because you've got people who are jealous of other Christians with more predominant positions in the church. Or they feel like their position is one of the internal organs. When it's seen, it's ugly. There's nothing pleasant about looking at a liver. But imagine living without a liver. There's nothing pleasant about seeing a heart. But imagine trying to function as a church without a heart. It may not be the most visible. It may not be the loudest. It may not be the one that's standing behind the pulpit. But without it, the church cannot function. We are one body, but the body has different members and different parts. We've all been given a task. We're all salt. We're all light. We all have a job to be kind one to another, to edify one another, to encourage one another. And in our roles and our positions, we've got to be comfortable. If I could sing like Arthur Rice, if somebody came up to me and said, if you'll give me a hundred bucks, drink this water, you'll be able to sing like Arthur Rice. I'll give him 200 and I'll chug it. Be able to sing like Arthur Rice. Mm. All right. Guess what? That ain't gonna happen. There's no way. I'm never gonna be going to be able to have the gifts that brother Arthur possesses or that brother David possesses. I'll never be as good as what God has gifted them to be. But it's obvious to me that this is a vital part of the body of Christ. I don't look at them and go, well, I don't know. I would do it differently. We're good at assessing one another. We're good at being armchair quarterbacks and backseat drivers or whatever analogy you want to put there. When the real response, remember we're going back to the Trinity here, the same driving force to bring glory to God. So when I sit in my chair and I listen to that incredible voice sing its song, I don't look at it and go, oh, I wish... Oh, why can't I? No, no, no. Uh, my job is to say, Lord, what gifts have you given me? Lord, what would you have of me? Now, Lord, if you want me to sing, I will sing. But they are never going to enjoy it like they enjoy it when David or Arthur sings. I'll do it. But they're never going to enjoy it. Never. It'll never be as beautiful. Lord, what is my gift? What can I do for the church family in the capacities that you have called me to? Lord, I'll be a greeter. I can smile. I can remember names. I'm friendly and I brush my teeth on Sunday morning. I'm in on a greeter. I can do it. And, and you may look at a position like greeting 
And you may think, that's cute. That is one of the most important, vital positions that a church family could ever have. That position of the greeter. Because you're not greeting them in the name of yourself. You're greeting them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as they enter his house of worship, this house of prayer. And it could be that they're coming in with a broken heart or they're coming in with a tough week. And the first thing they should get the moment they come in this building is a smiling face that hands them a bulletin and says, I'm glad you're home. Amen. Those children ministry workers who volunteer to play games with your kids, they are not babysitters. They're not. Those beautiful ladies that work in the nursery that have labored without any sort of picture on the screen, name in the bulletin, they just do it over and over and over and over. And they don't do it for you to recognize them or for the pastor to get up and talk about them. They do it because they care about your child and they do it for the glory of God. And they're a vital part of the body. They're not gonna stand here and preach a sermon, but one of the greatest sermons that they will preach is the sermon of consistency and love to your family. That's how we emulate the Trinity. Uh, it all comes down to this. It's not about me. Uh-oh, got quiet. It's not about me. What is the existence reason? What is the purpose? What is the chief end of Winston Parish? Why do I draw breath into my lungs? Air that belongs to God. Blood that pumps from my heart that belongs to God. What is the reason for my existence in the first place? It is to bring God glory. And the greatest place I get the opportunity to do so is at the New Testament local Bible-believing church as I serve, as I give within the auspices of what God has established in the church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And here's the good news. We get to be a part of that. That's the good news. You may not have the position you thought you would have. You may not have the position that you even desire. But any position, any seat at the table is a wonderful place to be because the opposite of that could be in a place where you don't know who he is and he doesn't know who you are. But in grace and in love and in mercy, he came by your way and fished you up out of the mire and washed you off and said, mm, I choose you, welcome home, have a seat at the table. Now that the master has allowed me in the home, it's time for me to serve. What would you have me do? How can I please you, dear sir? Thank you for the opportunity to serve. I just want to be a part of the family, but I don't want to be a, a little ornament. I don't want to just be dangling here waiting to collect dust. No, no, no. I want to be a functioning, working part of the family because I owe it all to you. That's the attitude. That's the Christian response. And that is where unity, come from. unity comes from. It's not that we're all 
different and, and that we are after one goal. It's that we are all different and the one goal is bringing God glory. That's where the unity comes from. Is us laboring together for him. You'll see here in Second Corinthians, or sorry, in First Corinthians 12, 14 through 20. Pay attention to that. These people were bemoaning. They were whining. But they did not have the showy gifts. They're upset. I don't have the position I want. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want people to recognize what I'm doing is a good thing. There are some people who need encouragement that's more vocal than others. That's without a doubt. Some of you, your love language includes words of affirmation. You need it. I'm about 50-50. I need to be told I'm doing a good job about once a year, but then the rest of the time, I just need Miranda to give me a hug. Just give me a hug. That's all I need. If I can just feel the embrace that says it's okay. That's my love language. That's how I know I'm appreciated. Part of unity and part of the accommodation is knowing how someone feels appreciated in our church and doing so intentionally. Taking that in. If I know that Pastor Allen, can I pick on you for a second, PA? He said no, I'm going to anyway. PA, if I know that in your position, you're part of the body, which by the way, you do a fantastic job at what you do. Thank God for you. That's a sidebar. But if I know that part of the way you feel appreciated from the church family and from me is by doing certain things, by me being intentional, maybe it's uh, acts of service or a gift. Maybe you're a gift receiver and that's how you want to be acknowledged. And so Maybe on one Tuesday morning, I come in and I have your favorite drink from whatever coffee establishment you prefer. And I set it on your desk and I say, PA, I sure do love you. I sure do appreciate what you do for the Lord. It's an honor to serve with you. Here's a coffee on me this morning. Keep going, keep doing what you're doing. If receiving that gift keeps you going, and keeps you charging and keeps you active in the position and in the part that God has assigned to you, then I'm not even actually doing it for you. I'm doing it yet again for the glory of God to encourage his servant, to encourage the one that he has assigned to that role and to that position. That's intentional Christian unity is encouraging one another to continue in the gifts that God's given us, the positions that we're to serve because it all comes down to us bringing God glory. God's called the church to be unified. And if we're going to be right with God and right with each other, it can't just happen on a corporate sense. It has to happen on an individual basis. Tonight as we close, that's part of where our heart takes us tonight is where am I? Where am I truly at tonight as it pertains to my unity with the Trinity? 
Am I allowing God, the Holy Ghost, to whisper in my ear, to lead and guide and direct me? Or am I just living life and going as fast and as hard as I can and until I break down or hit a wall at 80 miles an hour, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing? Am I allowing the moments to take place where I allow the Holy Ghost to whisper to me, to instruct me? Am I living in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I telling others about him and his free gift, the pardon of sin? Am I operating as a Christian in unity, not just with others, but with God the Father? Do I understand my purpose in this life? Am I living a way that brings him honor and glory? Because if I'm not, then there's no way I can come to church and expect to be unified with the body of Christ that's here. You see, that's why when one of us falls, it hurts us all. That's when one of us has a slip up, a fracture in the armor, a chink in the chain. It hurts us all because we're one body. And when the arm is broken or the eye is injured or the ear is damaged, it hurts the whole body. And the response is not for us to go and cut off that member that's damaged or broken. Our response is to apply a balm and ask God for healing. You see, we are imperfect people, saved, sanctified, but we're still waiting for glorification. And, and here's what's sad there may be a time I hurt your feelings. I hate to even think that, that I could hurt someone in this church's feelings or their emotions, that I could harm the way they see themselves or the way I talk to them. But the truth is, if we live together long enough as a church family, it's going to happen. I'm just a man. But when that moment takes place, here's the expectation, is for you to go to the person that's harmed you within the family and say, this hurt and we've got to get past it. And yes, it's going to hurt and yes, it's difficult, but at the end of the day, we've got a job to do and it's bigger than you and it's bigger than me and it's bigger than how we feel because it's for the glory of God and the task that he has set before us. This year, 2023, this coming year, much of what we will pray for much of our spiritual theme, just as confidence and authority has been our theme for this past year, what seems to be a year and a half, unity, real unity, doing this thing together for the glory of God and pushing forward, it seems to be where the Lord is taking us as our theme for the year. And I want you to help me pray that by this time next year, October of 2023, that Trinity Baptist Church will be at a place it's never been that we will be unified beyond any expectation above anything we've ever been able to experience before. Because here's the truth, the heritage and the history here, someone can close on the piano as we'll pray and go get our children and go home. The history and the heritage here at Trinity has been one of unification. It's had bumps in the road. There've been some tough days and some tough times. Poppy had to fight some things. My granddaddy, there were some wars, some battles, some struggles. 
And no doubt we'll have ours. But that cord, that three tier, that threefold cord, that's not easily broken. It doesn't happen on accident. It happens with intentionality and with purpose. And the only way that begins for the next generation, we can look back and see the unity that brought us here. Do you realize that most churches, uh, Grande pointed, pointed this out this week, most churches, most churches, if they would have experienced what we've gone through the past year and a half with transition, so many other things, a lot of churches would not have survived one week one week, I can point to hundreds of cases all over the United States of America where a transition completely fractured the entire church family. And it's because at the end of the day, there was no real unity in that church. That's not been who we've been. God did something special here. He unified, he galvanized, he welded some hearts together that no matter what was coming, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, there was nothing that was gonna break them apart. But for the next generation, we've gotta do that with intentionality. And it's gotta start with us and where we are. Where our hearts are aligned with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Real Christian unity. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we ask you to help us, to grow us, to mold us, and to shape us. God, to be the church you want us to be. Lord, I thank you for the history, the heritage of the unity here at Trinity Baptist Church. Lord, for decades you have brought people together for such a time as this. And Lord, you have sustained us in Christian love and unity. Lord, I pray that as we grow, as we develop, Lord, that you'd start with me. Lord, help me to be different. Help me to change. God, I pray for those that are serving in ministries all over this campus, all over this church, no matter what they're doing. Father, would you encourage them to push on, to keep going. Lord, to keep serving. Lord, we know there are so many elements to unity. But Lord, we know that serving, volunteering, giving our time, our money, and our efforts, Lord, it's where it all starts. Help us to be the church that you want us to be. Thank you for this beautiful Lord's Day. Keep us safe until Wednesday as we gather again to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' mighty, holy, capable name, we pray these things. Amen and amen. Good night. God bless you. Go home, rest, relax, and prepare for the week ahead. And go in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as you grow in him this week. Go get your children and enjoy the night.